Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Allison Pinches, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here at Courtright. And as Fiona said, it is good and a privilege for us to be together this morning. We are continuing our series this week exploring the four weeks of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And we're looking at that through the story of Jesus' birth as told in the Gospel of Luke. But before we get started, I'm curious to hear what are some of your favorite Christmas movies? Just shout them out. A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story. Classic. It's a Wonderful Life. Another classic. Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, a classic in a different way. Good. Home Alone. Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Brown. Elf. Elf. I have a soft spot for Elf. <laughs> we just watched that this weekend. Well, one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is The Muppet's Christmas Carol. Good, I have some other friends here. Oh, good. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it follows the classic Dickens story with some delightful Muppet moments throughout. So here's how Scrooge, the bitter old moneylender, is described in the opening number. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. Unkind as any, and the wrath of many, this is Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scroogey loves his money because he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. <laughs> you really just need to see the movie, trust me. It's, it's a lot more fun. So Scrooge has allowed the events of his life as well as his love of money to leave him isolated and alone, bitter and angry. He gets a literal wake-up call one night from a series of ghosts who take him to the past, present, and future and warn him of what's ahead ahead for him if he continues in this way. He gets a rare chance to go back and have his life and the events and choices he made reinterpreted. And as a result, the way he sees himself Others and his life itself changes. As he's led to examine his story, he is restoried. And where the old story and understanding of his life led to bitterness and anger, the new story leads to gratitude and joy. In the Muppets version, and in a foretaste of things to come today, Scrooge bursts into song and shares his wealth with the poor, food with the hungry, and says even those not related will be family to him as he dances down the street. So this morning, we're going to consider a person who is really in no way at all like Scrooge. And that's actually the point. We encounter her at a crossroad in her life, and where her story is about to take a turn she never expected. And instead of letting that lead her to a lifetime of anger and bitterness like Scrooge, In mere days, she too sings a song of joy. So a quick recap, and then we'll get to our story. Last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we're told two things about them. One is they were righteous in the sight of God, and the other is that they were really old, a crucial detail. One day, when Zechariah was working in the temple, he was visited by an angel and told his wife Elizabeth would have a baby. 
Zechariah can't believe it and says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is along in years. (laughs) So diplomatic. But for his disbelief, he is silenced and unable to speak until the child is born. Okay, so here we have an angel, a message, an unexpected pregnancy, a question, and then silence. Let's look at what happens next and how that formula changes. And as we do, let's pray. God, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Would you magnify our vision of you this morning, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I encourage you to have your Bibles. This is a long passage, so it would be great for you to follow along both now with this reading and throughout this morning. So we're in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be, called, born, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The area about 70 miles north of Jerusalem is known as Galilee, or Galilee of the Gentiles, as it's sometimes called. And now Galilee had a significant Jewish population, but was predominantly Gentile, or non-Jews. Jews in Galilee were looked down on as they were surrounded by Gentiles and were not always as meticulous at keeping the rules. The story zooms in on this region, Galilee, and then on this rural town, Nazareth. One character in John's version of the story says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And in Nazareth, we zoom further still in on a young girl, probably in her early teens and likely poorly educated. As Pastor Alex pointed out last week, this whole story is full of the mysterious and the mundane. The mysterious, the marvelous, the miraculous, and the mundane, the ordinary people and places that would otherwise be dismissed. So we're going to try to enter the story today through this young teenage girl through Mary's eyes to see what she saw and feel what she might have felt. And we're going to do this by following five movements for Mary that we see in this story. Fear, a question, willingness, confirmation in community, and praise and prophecy. So first, fear. The first response we learn about from Mary is fear. Mary is greatly troubled and wonders what kind of message this is. At this point, all the angel has said is, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Why is she afraid? Perhaps it's enough that an angel is talking to her. And it seems that fear is a common response, as angels are always having to say, Don't be afraid. (laughs) But what the angel says should seem like good news. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Perhaps Mary has some sense that her life is about to change. Why her? Why now? Did she do something wrong? Ah, fear, terror, so many unknowns. The angel tells Mary not to be afraid and tells her again she has found favor, goodwill, loving kindness with God. And then the birth announcement. You will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. But this is not just any baby. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God has promised that a descendant of David would reign over the whole world, and that is who your son will be. And just as promised, though rulers will rise and fall, nations will come and go, his kingdom will be forever. Now, Mary circles back on one practical detail. (laughs) How will this be, since I am a virgin? Mary seems to understand the angel is talking about something happening imminently, not in the far-off future after she and Joseph are married. Her questions seem to be out of confusion or curiosity. It's more clarification than looking for confirmation. The response of the angel sharply contrasts with Zechariah's question. Zechariah's question seems to be more out of disbelief. How will I know this is true? We are very old. Mary also points to the implausibility of the situation, but her question is for information and not proof. And so 
the angel explains, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is a reference to the kind of holy, powerful presence of God, like the cloud with the Israelites in the wilderness or over the tabernacle, that kind of power and presence. As N.T. Wright says, the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, enabling her, as the Spirit always does, to do and be more than she could by herself. And then the angel does something for Mary we all need. The angel reminds her of another time God has done the impossible, Elizabeth and her miraculous pregnancy. We all need those things we can remember and we can remind one another of when our faith is strained. Times in our own lives or the stories of others who can say, God was faithful in this way. We might say, I don't understand this, but I remember how he was faithful before. And this moves us to Mary's third response. I am the Lord's servant girl. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary said, I am yours, Lord, for you to use me as you see fit. That kind of submission and willingness is almost jarring. Her whole life is about to change. Not to mention the shame of being pregnant and unmarried. And who will believe her? What will Joseph think? What will he do? Whether those things are swirling in her mind or not, Mary simply says, okay, I'm in. Let it be. Now, this is where I start to have a harder time relating to Mary. I can relate to fear. I can relate to having some questions. But when my story has not gone as I had expected, I have fought and wrestled and pushed against the turn of events or this change in my story. Even when I have been obedient, I haven't always had a good attitude about it. It seemed more clear to me than just about anything since that God wanted me to leave my home in BC and go to university in Toronto. But I went, dragging my heels, kicking and screaming, saying, fine, I'll go. And look how good I am for being obedient to something I don't want to do. You better make it worth my while. <laughs> and I'm coming back as fast as possible. <laughs> ha. <laughs> I fight the changes and detours in my story, even the good ones. The good ones I question and say, are you really sure, God? This seems like a good thing, so maybe that's not what you want for me. <laughs> but Mary says simply, you are my Lord my king. I am your servant. I belong to you. Use my life however you see fit. From fear to a question to acceptance and now to community. The angel gives Mary an incredible gift in naming Elizabeth. Not only is this an encouragement to her, helping her to, with the belief of what he's just said by reminding her of another miraculous event, but now she's inspired to go to Elizabeth. We don't know how Mary's feeling at this point or what's going through her mind on the 50 to 70 mile day or two's journey to Elizabeth's home, but we can only imagine a certain amount of uncertainty for what is happening within her and what her life will be like. No doubt she's thinking about how she's going to explain all this to Elizabeth. What will she tell her? And what will she think? With nervous anticipation, she walks in and calls, Hello? 
And I love that Luke gives us this next detail twice. All Elizabeth heard is her greeting. Mary hasn't even had time to say, there's something I have to tell you. She doesn't give the story she's rehearsed. She doesn't have to wonder anymore if there will be doubt or anger or suspicion because upon her simple hello, the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Unable to contain the joy and knowledge the Spirit has revealed, she exclaims, blessed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. What a gift for Mary to have this message confirmed by one she loves and trusts. What a gift for her to not have to explain herself, to convince, to plead rather to be known, and known for even more than she has been. Blessed, 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 blessed are you of all women. Blessed is the child in your womb, and blessed are you for believing that which was said to you would happen. And this third blessing is makarios, which Daryl Johnson translates as right on, in sync. You are right where you are meant to be, in alignment, Right on for believing what was spoken to you. In sync, in alignment for your faith. You are right where you're meant to be when you believe that what the Lord says will be fulfilled. Blessed, right on, in sync, are you who believe the crazy thing that the Lord said to you would actually happen. And instead of having to convince what the Lord said is confirmed in community, affirmed and celebrated by her faithful, spirit-filled relative, Elizabeth, What a good idea to go visit Elizabeth. A friend came to me in crisis one day with a fracture in her marriage. She was devastated and in despair. But it was so clear to me that reconciliation was possible. I could see this future for her that was crystal clear, though for her it was blurred by her tears. And as I told her what I saw and the confidence that I had, she borrowed some of my hope for a while until her own tender shoots of hope were not so vulnerable. Reconciliation did come, along with new life. When we were thinking about moving to Guelph, what we, we did what had become our practice with difficult decisions. We gathered a group of close friends together, we shared what was on our hearts, and we asked them to pray with us. Some of the things people heard were very significant as we processed leaving Toronto and helped us discern our next steps. And it also gave us the gift of going in the blessing and love of our community. They had come together open-handedly desiring to hear from God on our behalf. And then they gave us their full support, love, and tears as we stepped into this move. Another time before that, We were processing if we should move into a community house in Toronto with some InterVarsity colleagues. We spent hours together over a course of many months in prayer, and even working through conflict as we sought the Lord together. There were a number of images that came to our group in prayer, and one was of a snail. But there was something else in the image. There was the snail, and then there was a sneaker just about to come and squash the snail. 
And the sense that we had from this was that we were not to rush or squash the process. And so we waited, and waited, and waited. Some of us moved out of our homes and put everything in storage. We passed our, okay, God, this is our deadline. And then the, okay, this is really our deadline. And then the, seriously, we have to figure this thing out. But the snail. Without a place of our own, we were camped out on the floor at my uncle and aunt's with the school year fast approaching, when we finally found a place to live. Moving day, we drove to Barrie to pick up an enormous U-Haul to begin the trek of getting our group's belongings from various storage locations across southern Ontario. At the U-Haul facility, in the midst of this industrial wasteland of brown and gray, my friend said, Al, you've got to come see this. There was a bush, though that's a generous term for this scraggly thing in the parking lot, but it was absolutely covered in snails. <laughs> the bush was covered in snails, the ground was covered in snails, and the pavement was covered in snails. We tiptoed around, carefully trying not to squash the snails with our sneakers, while we told the others to come and see what the Lord had done. Just two weeks ago, my friend called. She's in the midst of a transition, and she said, Al, you'll never guess what I saw. A snail in the strangest place. It was way up high on the side of my building for a whole month. After her decision was made, the snail came down from the side of the building. These are the gifts of confirmation in community. Snails and sneakers, clarity, confidence, and calling. Praise and prophecy. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Fear to curiosity, to obedience, to community confirmation, and now praise and prophecy, and joy, great joy. Mary bursts into song, but unlike our cheesy holiday finales, this one is rich with meaning and symbolism. Can you see the impact of the encounter she had with Elizabeth? Bless, 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 says Elizabeth. And now Mary echoes, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, revealing, expanding. This week, the Lectio 365 app challenged us, how has God been small in my eyes rather than magnified? Mary's view of who God is his kingdom and his interaction in her life have been greatly expanded, stretched and enlarged, and so she praises this enlarged mega-lord, this almighty savior who has looked on her, a young, poorly educated, backwater town girl with favor. She is spilling over with praise because she now sees how her story, though not what she expected, is intricately linked with the story of God 
and with the mighty works of God rescuing and redeeming his people, who could help but sing? And now with this magnified understanding of God, she continues, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Who is this? This sounds like Isaiah or one of the Old Testament prophets. And indeed, Mary reveals that she knows her Bible incredibly well, as her song is rich with these prophetic references. Mary's name, Mary's name means rebellion, and her words here are truly revolutionary. These words have been the anthem of revolutions, particularly in South America. These are powerful, divisive, order-disrupting words. Not just lifted up the hung- humble and filled the hungry, but also scattered those who are proud, brought down rulers, sent the rich away empty, wealthy Scrooge brought to his knees, handing out food and money and his heart, and never happier. The new world order God has in mind won't be possible without overthrowing the oppressive systems. The slaves won't be free without the oppressors being brought down. The persecuted won't be redeemed without the persecutors being humbled. There won't be justice while those who perpetuate unjust systems are still in power. All this from the voice of a young teenage girl who can't read. Talk about lifted up the humble. She continues, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary, who two days ago got up from her bed, swept the floor, fetched the water, is now privy to the full extent of God's plan, all the way back to Abraham and all the way forward to his descendants forever. This plan to rescue the whole world is coming true. This thing her people have longed for for generations, it's happening. It's in motion, and she's part of it. Can you imagine the best news? All the bad things in your life coming untrue, and all the things you longed for being fulfilled. What kind of dance would you do if you got that news? The good news that Mary has heard is just that. Isaiah has prophesied long ago that the Lord Almighty will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. And now Mary knows that this plan is unfolding in the world, in her lifetime, and in her womb. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And that day, Mary's story changed forever. The simple life she anticipated with Joseph, raising a family, being cared for by her children in her old age, was no more. But unlike Scrooge, Mary opened her hands to this change. With fear and trembling, uncertainty and questions, she surrendered. Her life, her plans her ambitions, her body. 
her body, and all these things to her God. And that moment of surrender and what followed led to a brilliant understanding of what God was doing in the world, of finding her story within the scope of God's story. Her life, perhaps mundane before, is now mysterious. She is part of something much bigger. The predictable path has been overturned for an uncertain journey. Being part of God's story is always more costly, but it's always more amazing. I'm a storyteller, and as many of you know, I have struggled with the shape my story has taken. A few years ago, I found myself thinking, if I were to write the story of the last five years, I would call it, this is not a good story, and daring to believe that's not true. There was a significant turning point for me last fall when I had to forgive God for not intervening in my story the way I wanted. I had lots of good ideas for him, endings that promised I would give him the glory, but month after month, these plot lines disappeared. I was away on my Aero Leadership course when I forgave God. I know that sounds like a funny thing, um, but that teeter-totter of a title that I had began to tilt. The heavy, this is not a good story, went up as the daring to believe that's not true took on weight. That week, we were invited to pick up two rocks before we left, and we were to write down on one rock something we were leaving behind, and on the other rock, we wrote what we were taking home with us. I noticed that rock on my desk this week, and it caught my attention, especially when I realized what I had written on it was joy. I took home joy, and indeed, I did. This year has had much more joy than the past five, even though circumstances haven't changed. And you know the funny thing? I can't for the life of me remember what I wrote on the rock I left behind. Maybe it's meant to be that way. As we think back on the movements of Mary from fear to questioning to acceptance and community, and finally to praise and prophecy, let's consider how God is inviting us to join, like Mary, the story he has for us, the story of rescuing the whole world. And as we consider these four things, I encourage you to see if one sticks out for you. And if so, it's okay to pay attention to that one and ignore the rest. Embrace the story you are given. This is where I'm at and what I'm learning to do, to surrender to the story you are being given, to the twists and turns, to the unexpected and disappointing. Now, this is not to say to settle for or be limited by whatever story you find yourself in. God is not calling us to stay in cycles of abuse or addiction or give in to decay or destruction. No, just the opposite. It's to surrender to the life God has for us, which may well mean jumping ship from an old life. So first we must ask, what is the story you are giving me? How can I surrender to the story you have for me? It will always be more costly, and it will always be more amazing. If you're not sure what the story God has for you is, you could spend some time with a journal or a piece of paper this afternoon, start writing out your thoughts or prayers to God and asking him about it. Don't filter too much, just let it come out. I'm often surprised the clarity that comes from writing in this way. A grueling question one line, and then an apparent answer the next. If you're struggling to get past how life doesn't look how you hoped, you might find a book on suffering helpful. 
like walking with God through pain and suffering, or it's not supposed to be this way. Confirm in community. Do you have people you process major life decisions with? Do you have people in your life that get to have input over what job you take, where you live, or how you spend your money? If you don't, you might get some. Look around at the people you already have and consider who you might go deeper with. It's really countercultural for us to submit ourselves and our decisions to the input of community. We're told we should be independent and it's none of other people's business. And yet, our choices truly do impact our communities, whether we see it or not. We also miss out on stepping into decisions with the confidence, blessing, and support of a community. Find a couple friends and start having them for dinner every month. Commit to taking the conversation to a deeper level, to the things that you're wrestling with. Or get a mentor. We have mentors standing by and available for you now. <laughs> But seriously, we have this new mentorship program, and more than a dozen people now have the benefit of someone committed to walking with them through the challenges of life over this next year. That sounds pretty good to me. Join in the work of the king. We heard a taste of what God's kingdom is all about. Hungry are fed, oppressed are freed, and those without have enough. What part is God inviting you to play in his great redemption plan? How does your story fit with his great story? In what ways, big or simple and mundane, is he calling you to be faithful to that vision? An excellent book on understanding how our work can glorify God is every good endeavor. Finally, magnify the Lord. I think we could all use a dose of this. How has God been small in our eyes? Let's let him expand our vision of who he is. Mary's song has been so significant through the ages that people have tried to capture its magnitude in different ways. One such person was Johann Sebastian Bach. He wrote a whole piece of music to convey Mary's words. This afternoon, find a comfy chair, and search on Spotify or YouTube or just Google Bach and Magnificat and ask the Lord to be magnified for you. And then just listen for a while. Wherever you find yourself, take a step further into the story the Lord has for you, the story he has for the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. <laughs>